Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today is Tuesday, July 21st. The Dow is up, LinkedIn's headcount is about to go down by 6%, and we're focused on America's second largest school district. On August 18th, the school year will begin for over half a million kids in the Los Angeles Unified School District. But unlike in many other parts of America, LA is not debating whether or not to send kids into the classroom. It's already decided to be fully remote, at least as the city battles rapidly rising coronavirus spread, including over 9,000 new cases yesterday. Why LA matters beyond its size is that lots of other school districts might be looking to it for pragmatic inspiration. For example, LA Unified has managed to procure and distribute internet-connected devices to nearly all of its students, and also worked with Verizon to get broadband into student homes that didn't already have it. It's also figured out things like Saturday school and ESL programs and one-on-one teaching and even teacher assessments, all with union blessing. Now, to be sure, not everything in LA schools is going to be perfect. Remote learning continues to be a very poor substitute for in-class education, and LA is paying for these programs with theoretical tax revenue from future years. For now, though, LA does seem to be ahead of the class. To go deeper on this, I am pleased to be joined by LA Unified School District Superintendent Austin Butner. At what point did you make the decision for L.A. public schools to go entirely remote for the start of the school year? We formally made it as of about two weeks ago. We could see it tracking in that direction toward the latter half of May, early June. By mid-May, Los Angeles had come back down below that 5% threshold the World Health Organization set. Below 5%, start to think about reopening. Above 5%, better start shutting back down. In Los Angeles, we're in the four-ish, five-ish through most of May. By middle of June, seven or eight, and now we're north of 10. That number, had you stayed under 5%, maybe say you had been at 2% or 3%, or if the city had been, was your intention to bring kids back in classroom five day a week, quote, regular school? Or even with that, was it going to be some sort of hybrid model? There are three things we have to do to go back. The first is the set of health practices, which have been well chronicled, keep people spread apart, wear masks, sanitize and clean services which I think schools can do, that leads to hybrid because keeping people apart means our facilities are space constrained. So we probably could only have half the students there roughly at any point in time. But that's one leg of the stool. The second and third leg are testing for the virus at schools and contact tracing. Here, legitimately, you're probably talking to make it work actually right, daily testing. Schools are the best place, in my view, to do it because we can test the few, protect the many. We have one high school with about 3,000 students and staff who go home to about 100,000 people. You'll see some of the challenge other contact tracers are having or government organizations because good luck figuring out what public bus you were on two days ago, who else was on the bus. Our students take the same bus. They're in classroom and cohorts. You've talked about this, how even in the best of cases, it's not apples to apples. And for some kids, they're getting much, much less, particularly kids, say, with special needs. How do you present to parents in Los Angeles that you're going to be remote and that the educational experience is going to be anywhere near what they're expecting? I think we can all agree there's no substitute for being in the classroom. As you mentioned, for certain students, early learners, those learning to read, those learning English, those with learning differences or disabilities, or those who might have been struggling when we were in school facilities, 
the lost opportunity to be in school is a real consequence. We have to get all students, in particular those back to school quickly. Now, we learned in March to June, we had to get everybody connected. That was the first challenge. We provided a device, free internet access to every one of our students. We had summer school this year for all students for the first time ever. And we experimented with things to try to get more students engaged. So we brought in James Cameron, who's now teaching a class to our high schoolers in the voyage of the Titanic. We had Alicia Keys and Russell Westbrook and Snapchat together with us create a book club. We have Illumination teaching students to draw. We have Fender and a thousand kids in a virtual guitar class. So we're experimenting with things to see how we keep students engaged and make it better. And chapter three for the return to school will be one-on-one support in addition to online. It may be online tutoring. It may be by appointment at a school. So just one individual, one teacher. But we've got to do more than just offer what was offered in March. And I think it's important also people understand the context for online. What's trying to be done in the public education system has never been done. Most online is asynchronous where students are trained, capable, have the supports to work somewhat independently. We're trying to provide synchronous instruction online. It's never been done, but we're going to continue to make progress. You estimate at least 96% of LA County students do now have some sort of internet connected device. What do you do about the 4% that hasn't? Within Los Angeles Unified, we reconnected everyone. We brought them back to the school community. So we put an enormous effort in making sure we made phone calls. We knocked on doors. We used our colleagues in the media like this to make sure any student who needed a device or lacked the internet access at home, we provided it. And any listener today, if there's a family in Los Angeles who still needs that, contact us, we'll provide it. So we're close to the 100% level. The challenge at the 100% level is how do you keep students engaged and learning now that they're connected? You're originally a finance guy. Can you just help me with the money piece of this? How is it that you were able, A, to get devices in everybody's hands, procure them, and B, it seems, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that from your plans, when you talk about one-on-one, when you talk about Saturday class, et cetera, it seems that your staffing costs are increasing. How are you affording this? There's two parts. You mentioned we suffer from a lack of adequacy in public education, Los Angeles in particular. Californians invest about $17,000 a year to educate a student in Los Angeles comparable number in New York is almost 30,000. And we would have six months ago or a year ago had a conversation about class sizes, which are too big, school library without a librarian, the lack of full-time nurses at every school. And we should have been talking about the lack of devices and connectivity. What we've done is to say, we have to find a way to, yes, we're spending reserves. We're spending money in effect we don't have because the alternative is not acceptable. The reckoning will be months and years down the road, the state who provide Virtually all the funding to public schools in California is going to have to catch up to us. But presented with two choices, one is not provide what a child needs or provide what they need. I know which one we're going to do, and we're going to have to sort out the pieces later. What's been the biggest challenge in negotiating with the teachers union about your plan for the fall? Surprisingly, maybe to many, been aligned with our colleagues who do the work in schools starting with the need to get every student a device, starting with the need to do the best we can online. We'll be having standards-based instruction with assessments, with daily live engagement between teachers and students come August. That's the fundamentals. We can all agree on those fundamentals. We also agree we need a safe place in which students and teachers can come back to work. Are teachers going to be assessed this year? Yes. 
you obviously have heard what President Trump and uh, Education Secretary DeVos have said about potentially cutting the federal piece of funding to school districts if schools don't go back in person. You are not going back in person. Does their threat concern you or not? I think we should keep the focus on science fact, not science fiction. Maybe try to take some of the politics out of it. And let's assume they're coming from the same place I am, which is we want kids back in school. We all do. If that's the goal, the state has a role to play, as does the federal government, which is to fund the testing and the contact tracing, which gets us back quicker. We all want students back to school as quick as possible. How do you do it safely? How do you do it appropriately? How do you do it in a way which protects the interests of all who are involved? That was a very good way to dodge my question, though. It is about 8% or so of, of state education aid. It's been repeated. Does it worry you as somebody who is pinching pennies right now to make sure you can fund everything? Not in the slightest. Last I looked, Congress controls the purse strings. They've spoken consistently with clarity of voice that we're going to do the best thing that we can for students at schools, recognizing we balance three things all the time. The learning needs of students, the safety net we provide for students and families, and the health and safety in all the school community. L.A. Superintendent Austin Butner, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a federal grand jury, which returned an 11-count indictment against two Chinese nationals for an alleged hacking spree that included efforts to intrude on companies that are developing coronavirus vaccines. Two reasons this matters. First, it's a major escalation of tensions with China, since the indictment claims that the two defendants were working on behalf of the Chinese government. Two, even though the alleged hackers apparently didn't steal anything from the biotech companies, their efforts might have slowed down vital vaccine research efforts. Today, we're also watching Capitol Hill, where talks continue over the so-called phase four stimulus plan. Democrats and Republicans are still pretty far apart on what's expected to be at least a $1 trillion package. And there even are disagreements between Republicans and the White House. Axios's Elena Treen is on Capitol Hill today, and I asked her what the biggest sticking points are. The biggest stumbling block right now on the Hill is the payroll tax cut. It's something that President Trump says that he needs in the bill in order to sign it. But it's something that most Senate Republicans, absent a few, are totally against that. They don't think it's a good idea. They instead would rather have another round of stimulus checks in the bill. So that's another key thing that I think they're very far apart on, that they need to find some sort of middle ground or maybe, you know, see the president in the White House cave in order to get this bill through. And finally, today, we are still watching last week's Twitter hack, which the FBI is investigating. The latest news is that cryptocurrency company Coinbase says it prevented over 1,100 customers from sending more than $280,000 worth of Bitcoin to the hackers' email addresses. That represents more than twice the $121,000 in Bitcoin that the hackers are believed to have gotten. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national junk food day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.